All right, Luke chapter 6 is where we are. If you'll open your Bibles there, we're going to continue in our study through Luke's gospel. And I do so with this lovely backdrop of uh, Beauty and the Beast here for the, well, you know, it's a tale as old as time, right? So we're, here we are. School has, yeah, that's stuck in our, all of our heads now. Thank you. <laughs> right? Uh, all right, Luke chapter 6. Um, we left off actually uh, beginning in verse 20, but in context, I'll pick it up in verse 17. It says, and he, Jesus, he came down with them. Speaking of his disciples, you'll recall, it's been a couple of weeks, but when Jesus went up onto the mountain, he went up there to pray. He was up on the mountain all night, prayed all night, and apparently praying in particular about who of his disciples he should pick as his 12 apostles. And so the Lord ministering to him in prayer and him receiving that direction from the Father. And so now he comes down from the mountain with his disciples, with these 12 apostles whom uh, he has, has chosen. And he stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, <coughs> as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Verse 20, then he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes toward his disciples, and he said, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and, and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets, but woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And you know, as we get into it this morning, the big idea of the text really comes down to this question, and the question is this, what kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you living for? The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that there's two basic kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that in this world you have a choice, that you can choose which path you're going to go down. You, you can take the, the, the path, the narrow road that leads to life, and he, and he said, and there's few that find it, or you can take the broad road that leads to destruction. In this world, you got a choice. There's two paths that you can go by. The theologians of Led Zeppelin actually got that one right. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. There's two paths you can go by. There's a narrow road. There's a, lo- a broad road. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have stumbled on the narrow road. Let me just see a show, brave show of hands. How many of you have stumbled on? Yes, right? Because lots of us experience what Paul, the apostle, experienced. That that I want to do, I don't do. That that I don't want to do, that's what I seem to do. 
We have these times where we get on that narrow road that leads to life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And thank you, Jesus, for when we discover that and get on that narrow road. But doggone it, things happen. And we, from time to time, we will get off of that narrow path and we will wander onto the broad path that leads to destruction. And the reality is that simultaneously, both these kingdoms... The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Both of these kingdoms, they operate side by side in this world. Now this is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 16. You remember the story. Jesus asks his disciples, he says, hey, who do men say that I am? And they begin answering his question about, you know, who they said said that he was. You know, some say you're a prophet and so on. And and he says, "But, but who do you? Say that I am. And this is what it always comes down to, doesn't it? This is the question. Who do you say that Jesus is? And so Peter speaks up. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven right? Jesus commending Peter. He got it right and, and, and fantastic. Well, then Peter, like so many of us, he, he immediately goes from being on that narrow road to, to stumbling into the broad road, and Jesus begins to talk about his crucifixion, and Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he says, no, Jesus, not so, and he begins to scold Jesus. And Jesus famously says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an, are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. That word mindful is very telling that Jesus uses in Matthew 16. It means literally to set your mind on. And, and I like the way the King James translates the, the word. King James gives us a very clear picture. He says, Jesus says to Peter, you're not, you're not savoring the things of God. You're savoring the things of this world. It's like this. When you're on a diet and a pizza commercial comes on, and all you can think about for the rest of the night is pepperoni pizza, you're savoring that, that sinful thing that you should not eat. I think I'm going to get that for lunch. Sounds amazing. Right? So, so what happens is, is that there are these two worlds, man. They run parallel. They're side by side in this earth. And we have the, the, the occasion. Are we going to savor the things of God? Or are we going to savor the things of the world? What are you savoring? Now, keep in mind, Jesus, he's come down from the mountain, right? And, and what's he been doing on the mountain? He's been praying. And, and, and he's, he's God, right? So, so this Jesus is, is going to be, you know, led by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to have his mind focused on the kingdom of God, not on the kingdom of this world. But the point is not lost on me that he spent all night in prayer, and it can be rightly said that he is precisely, acutely focused on the kingdom of God. That's important. Because what's happening now is he's operating from that place of complete and total focus on the kingdom that matters, not on the kingdom that doesn't matter. 
And now, so with that focus, he wants to talk to the disciples. And he's talking to the disciples, you know, again, it, listen, we got to understand, he's just laying hands on these guys. He's just said, now, you know, I'm going to enlist you into service. You're going to be my disciple, right? And, and he's, he's going to be commissioning them. We're going to see that in a few chapters here in, in Luke's gospel. And so, so critically important that he basically tells them and assures here now in this message that he's got to give, hey, listen, I want to make sure you got your heads on straight. I want to make sure you're, you guys are kingdom focused. I, don't, I want to make sure that, that this is the kingdom that you're all about, that you're not about the earthly kingdom. Now, again, you know, what Jesus is giving here, these aren't instructions for salvation. He's talking to believers. Now, certainly, there's, there's applicable truths for those that are unsaved and they need to hear the good news of the gospel and it preaches through this text. But he's talking to believers, And that's critically important because what Jesus is saying is, look, you are members of a different kind of kingdom. And and the kingdom that you're members of, that now I have laid hands on you and made you apostles, you are my disciples, (coughs) this kingdom is not of this world. Paul said this in Philippians uh, 3 verse 20, he said, our citizenship's in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, this is what I want my citizens to be focused on. This is what I want your mindset to be. This is how I want you to live as disciples. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body." So Jesus here, he begins first with the blessings. Notice he doesn't say, blessed are the poor. He says, blessed are you poor. Now, uh, again, understand that Jesus is not saying here that having riches, having wealth is sinful. It's not about that. Jesus never said that money is evil. He said the love of money is evil. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And it all comes back to the foundational premise that we live in two worlds. The world of the Titanic, as Jason talked about last week, he did a great job. By the way, didn't he? I listened to his message. I'm so grateful for the job that he did. But listen, we live in two worlds. We have the world of the, of the Titanic that is temporary, and we have the world of the eternal. And Jesus is talking now to disciples who have talents that they can use on the Titanic, right, either for good or for evil. They can, they can use these talents uh, either to seek and pursue the treasures of the earth. Peter was a commercial fisherman. He could have put all of his talents and energies into pursuing that, being a commercial fisherman, having an enterprise that was thriving. Matthew was a tax collector. He's got this well-paid government gig. Like he could have kept that and made that his entire focus and built his life around building his own personal empire. Or rather, these disciples can use their talents while they're on the Titanic for the kingdom of God. I think about Moses in chapter 11 of of Hebrews. 
uh, uh, where it says that he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of this world. Hebrews 11, 26 and 27 says that he, Moses, thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead, that's a key thing, to his great reward. It wasn't about the earthly kingdom. It wasn't about his earthly pleasures. It wasn't about all the, the cush that he had. He was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith <coughs> that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. And and, and I'll just say, just as an aside, it shocks and it saddens me when I see Christians that are so willing to invest their time, to invest their talents, to pursue fleeting pleasures, that they they get caught up in the things of the world, not realizing or recognizing or losing sight of or whatever it is, getting sidetracked from the fact that there are people who are going to hell. That there are people whose lives are falling apart. Just like we read in this day, Jesus comes down off the mountain, and what's he immediately greeted by? He's greeted by the multitudes of people who have deep, great needs. (coughs) He has to meet those needs. He's mobilized his disciples to meet those needs. And he's telling them now, listen, there's two worlds that, that operate here side by side. And you need to be kingdom-minded in in how you focus. There's people that God is strategically placing, listen, in your lives. That God wants you to reach them. And if you get caught up in the kingdom of this world, you will lose sight of the fact that God has called and commissioned you every bit as much as he has called and commissioned these disciples that they can't get so caught up in the things of the world that they lose sight of the fact that they have God-given talents and abilities and a God-given mandate to see the lost around them and to, to be available for the Lord's use. Listen, he's, he, these disciples, man, they're focused on a timeless world, not on a titanic world. Let me ask you a question. What are you focused on today? What's your focus on? I like what David Guzik said in his commentary. He says, it's no accident that Jesus gives this message immediately after choosing the disciples and before sending them out. It was part of their teaching to hear and understand this message because it helped explain clearly what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and it had a significant impact on the early church. The early Christians made constant references to it and their lives shined with the glory of radical disciples. You want to be a radical disciple for Jesus Christ? Do you want to make a radical impact in this world? You got to get this message. There's two kingdoms. And the kingdom of this earth, will, will, it'll suck you in, man. And, and, and you'll filter everything through the values of the kingdom of this earth if you're not careful. Paul told Timothy, speaking of how this message that the Lord gave to his disciples at this point, and David Guzik points out, hey, listen, this, this informed A lot of what the early disciples did in the early church, you see it show up in all the epistles. Here's one of them in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul told Timothy, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as as a soldier. 
I want you to notice also in our text, four times here, Jesus uses the word blessed. And, and the idea behind this word blessed, literally, it means happy. But it's not a happiness like we might equate happiness. When we think of happiness, you know, we think about, you know, happiness in our comforts or in our inner, you know, entertainment in the moment or, you know, whatever it is that's floating my boat or satisfying my needs in the, in the here and now, in the physical. And, and this isn't the idea of, of this word happy. The blessing that Jesus speaks of, it's in the present tense, but it's with a future hope. That's the happiness. In other words, it finds its definition with the kingdom that you're focused on. One happiness refers to the kingdom of earth. The other happiness refers to the kingdom of heaven. See, the Bible uses this, uses this same word blessed to describe God himself. Calls him the blessed God. And the idea is that it's describing a joy which is serene and untouchable and that's completely independent of circumstances or anything else externally that will, that will have its blessing. In other words, your blessing is found in God and God alone. And when we pursue His blessing, that's where we're going to find true and lasting happiness. It's not going to be found in our stuff. It's not going to be found in our sufficiency. It's found in God. See, Satan's kingdom, it'll offer you happiness, but the happiness never lasts. It's been said that sin is pleasurable for a season, but the season is always too short and the bill is always too high. And so what will happen is if, if you take happiness on the earth's terms, on the world's terms, on the kingdom of darkness's terms, then what's going to happen is you're going to seek your life, you're going to spend your life seeking riches only to discover that they never satisfy. John Rockefeller found this out. Wealthiest man who's ever lived. Wealthier than Bill Gates, comparatively speaking. And somebody had the guts at one point to say to him, dude, you got more money than anybody. Like, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Because it never satisfies. It's never enough. You can hunger for the things of the world. It's never going to last. You can hunger for the approval of men. And some people do. And I ask, how's that working out for you? Because the approval of men is a fickle thing. But listen, the blessings of God gives us, give us present blessings in the here and now. And they also give to us future hope. I like what Jim Elliott said. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, that that when we focus our priorities on his kingdom, that we will have blessings many times over in this life and also in the world to come. The psalmist said this, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Which world are you focused on? And you might say, well, okay, you talk about blessings, but listen, PT, what you're talking about here, look, read the text. Talks about being poor. Talks about being hungry. Talks about weeping. Talks about being persecuted. Like, where's the blessing in that? How is that possibly a blessing? Well, again, you have to keep in mind the focus is on having a kingdom mindset. Peter said this. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you, instead be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. 
so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Peter says, look, you're going to have trials. People are going to persecute you. Illness is going to strike. Hardships are going to happen. But listen, as you keep your focus on Jesus and on his kingdom, (coughs) then you can go through those trials understanding that God is in control and he has a purpose in them, right in the midst of them, wanting to do a work in them and through them. That he hasn't lost your address. God's in control. And ultimately, hey, we live on the Titanic. We do. This sucker's going down. And we worry about the furniture on the deck of the Titanic. It's going down. And and so if you have an eternal focus, you can understand and remember, look, God's promised us that we're going to be redeemed, that that, that we're going to be rescued, that he's going to give to us rest. The Bible says that weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Can I get an amen on that one? Joy comes in the morning. It may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And a worldly focus doesn't give you that peace in the midst of it. It's a heavenly focus that helps you in the midst of a life that is falling apart. Jesus is talking about having this kingdom mindset, trusting the ruler of the kingdom to provide all that we need. And so when Jesus speaks about being poor, the poverty that he has most in mind is the poverty of spirit. And by the way, this is an absolute poverty. The word that's used here for poor, it, it, it's referring to, you know, not that you have more month than money. It's referring to the fact that you got nothing. You, you, have, you, you, you are absolutely, totally, completely bankrupt, and you have, you have no resources whatsoever. Abject poverty is the idea. And he says you're blessed when you're in that state. And you say, how? Well, we see the idea that Jesus is expressing here. We see it reflected in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Lots of parallels between the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount. And there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the poor, and he qualifies it, the poor in spirit. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, poor in spirit, listen, When you're in that state, what you recognize is that you have no assets of your own. The abject person, the person in abject poverty, they understand that if it's not for the sake of the generosity of somebody else, they don't get to eat. They're totally and completely dependent upon others. And this is what Jesus says the blessing comes for us that we got to understand that we are totally and completely dependent upon God for everything that we need, for life and for breath and for, for, for everything that we can have. We, we have to understand that, that it, that, it, that it is God who provides this. How many of you know G. Gordon Liddy or are familiar with the guy G. Gordon Liddy? Less in this service than in the previous service. That tells me more older people attend first service than second service. G. Gordon Liddy worked with Richard Nixon. He was one of his advisors. He was a bad actor. He actually went to jail because of the Watergate scandal. Um, and, um, and so G. Gordon Liddy, somebody tried to witness to him, probably while he was in prison. Somebody tried to witness to him, trying to share the gospel of Christ with him. And he scoffed at it. He scoffed at, at, at the notion of surrendering his life to Jesus. And he basically says, you know who my faith is in? My faith is in G. Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. 
And I thought, well, wow, where'd you come up with that? In prison? When you failed yourself? <laughs> like, you know, and, and we, we have, you know, this, this, this thing in, in the world to where it's like, dude, where, what kingdom are you living for and who's the king of that kingdom? And Jesus is saying, look, you're blessed if you recognize that you're, that you're in poverty, spiritually speaking. And, and, and that your entire life is completely dependent upon God. Live your life like that. You're blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. Same goes for hunger. Same goes for weeping. Only Jesus can truly satisfy the deep hunger of our soul. Only Jesus can truly satisfy and comfort those who are weeping, who are brokenhearted, who are crushed in spirit. The Bible says this, that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, <coughs> with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses, keyword, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus. That word surpasses, it means to excel, it means to be far superior, it means to be better than, and the idea is that, hey, the world can never match this. This, this, this peace that God gives, it, it's something the world can't even hold a torch to. And listen, the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that all he can offer is a cheap substitute, a counterfeit. And because he knows that, listen, the enemy hates us. Hates us with a passion. Jesus said this in John's gospel. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says in verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. He says a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying that exact same thing here. Listen, living for Jesus is not popular. I don't know how many of you have discovered that. It's getting less popular every single day. It'll cost you friendships. It will cost you jobs. It will single you out for ridicule. Paul told Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a promise in the Bible. You know, we, we like to, to frame and put on a poster, you know, some of God's promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're not seeing this framed too many houses, you know? But it's just as much of a promise that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Listen, you're going to be labeled a homophobic. You're going to be labeled narrow-minded. You're going to be labeled as ignorant. You will be labeled as intolerant. I remember I had a conversation with a guy. I was trying to share the gospel with him, and, and he was a scoffer. And, and, and just, you know, he accused me of being ignorant. And so as I'm talking to him, I'm like, okay, well, and I'm trying to, to reason to, with him. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about creation and how God manifests himself through creation. And, you know, how, look at the intricacy of the world in which we live. <clears throat> there has to be an intelligent creator 
behind this world that we live in. You can't possibly take a, take a, a reasonable look. Just look at the human eye and the intricacy of the, of the design of the human eye. And on a cellular level, how the, there's complex structures that, that are working, that when you look at them on a microscopic level, that, that, that the, the, the intricacy of design is, is, is intense. It's overwhelming. You can't possibly come up with that you went from the goo to the zoo to you. There's got to be an intelligent creator behind this. And so the guy, through the course of the conversation, he basically admits, well, yeah, I, you know, I believe, obviously, there's some sort of an intelligence behind it, but, but I just don't really know if I believe in, you know, the God that you say you believe in. I said, okay, so you're not an atheist, you're an agnostic. And I explained to him what it is to be an agnostic, which is just what that description there. I believe there's something, I just don't know what it is. And he agrees, he goes, yeah, that's me. I said, well, the word agnostic literally means not to know, so who's the ignorant one here? You or me? <clears throat> so it's going to be unpopular, but what we need to understand is that if we remain focused on the kingdom of God, we can not only survive the trial, but listen, we can thrive in the trial. We can thrive in the midst of the trial. Peter said, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. You see, if your focus is on a kingdom mindset and not on a worldly mindset, when you're persecuted, you will be able to see above that and go, I see what's at work here. And this isn't about me and it's not about him. This is about principalities and powers and the rulers in the dark realm and a person who's been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. And so when somebody calls me ignorant, I cannot react in anger. Rather, I can be able to engage them in, in some sort of, uh, of a way to give them a reasoned reason for the, for the hope that is within me. Because, hey, there's dark forces at work here. I'll tell people that in marriage counseling, by the way. When we sit down in marriage counseling, I go, look, you've got to understand, we live in two realities. There's the reality of the earth and there's the reality of heaven. And when a situation goes down, you think she's the enemy, but you have to understand that there's a demonic work that's going on here as well. And, and so rather than you know, getting all caught up in this earthly thing, let's lift our gaze to heaven and let's look to, to the Lord for the solution here. The opportunities of, of rising above that which divides us. Find mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope and love and reconciliation. Because he's the only place where we can find all of those things. You know, this, ad, this attitude, this idea that the trials bring with them the opportunities to, to be a partaker of Christ's sufferings and actually be used by God in the midst of a situation. I think about Van, who serves on our worship team. Many of you know Van's struggling with cancer right now. And he's, he's in the midst, simultaneously, of having chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And he's very ill. I ask you to keep him in prayer. But Van is sharing with me how, in the midst of, of his suffering, how he's been able to minister to people at the VA doctors and nurses and technicians and other patients and stuff, and just taking the opportunity to be able to tell people about the hope that he has in Christ Jesus and about how God is so good to him, how he's forgiven him and cleansed him of his sins and set him on the road of redemption. And what I'm going through right now, it's a momentary affliction. And whether or not God takes me home or whether he chooses to heal me, 
you know, either way, man, and I've got the peace of God. And he's just sharing this with, with the people that he's around. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And listen, that's the key. That's the key. Listen to me very carefully as we close. Jesus said this. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set them, the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hey, you who've given your life to the king and are living according to the kingdom, you come over here. You're going to inherit your blessing. Doctrine of glorification. We're going to be glorified together with Christ. We're going to receive a rich inheritance. And this is what's going down here. But Jesus went on to say this. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away, he goes on to say, into everlasting punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. Listen, God's word gives us the truth, and here's the rock bottom truth, is that there is a coming judgment. There's a coming judgment. There's two kingdoms. One is a truth, the other's a lie. And we have to understand that this is, they run parallel. We have to make the conscious daily decision. Am I going to live for the kingdom of darkness or am I going to get, live for the kingdom of light? Which is why Jesus goes on to say this, verses 24 through 26. He says, but woe to you who are rich for you've received your consolation. For you are just, you're, you're rich. You, your attitude is I got everything I need. I don't need Jesus. All I need is G. Gordon Liddy, man. I am all I have ever need. If that's the attitude. He says, woe to you, for you've received your consolation. If you're all you want, you're all you're going to get. He says, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. I'm satisfied. I don't need anything. Jesus says, you're a fool. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. He's not talking about not laughing and being humorous. He's talking about the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's the attitude that says, I'm going to live for today. I'm going to live for my pleasures today. It's all about my happiness today. You know, the person who says, you know what? Uh, I just, I, I, I don't like my marriage anymore. I'm not happy. I, I, need to go, I need to go take care of me. That's the attitude that he says, that's not a kingdom mindset. That's an earthly mindset. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. People love to hear what they want to hear, but they, they don't love to hear what they need to hear. What if the doctor had said to Van, hey, you know what? You're good, man. You're cool. He would have loved to hear that. In the moment, that would have been great. In the moment, that would have meant no chemotherapy, no, no radiation treatment. Oh, I love that. But then the bill would come due. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, listen, there's a judgment day coming. And you have to decide which kingdom are you going to live for.